Uh, hi everybody, I'm Saul Cross and you're listening to the Same World Podcast. Let's try this one more time. It's the Scene World Podcast, brought to you by Subway. Not really. No, but they should totally sponsor. Maybe that should be our new goal, is to have Subway sponsor the Scene World Podcast. We we don't have a Subway Subway here in my city. We have a tram. Well, I'll see what you did there. (laughs) In a minute. We have Lars Sobirai. He was our very first guest. And we'll be talking to him about some interesting things, copyright things and, 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 and international law and politics and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Before, we didn't know anybody more interesting back in the days. Well, I, no, I mean, he's very interesting. <laughs> no, that yeah. was a joke, of course. Oh, yes, that yes. Joke, um, before that, um, this is our 50th episode, number 50. We've been doing this since June of 2014, which is now going to be a little over four years. Four years of this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we had so much nice guests. Yes. We have had awesome guests. And Siri Voices, Charles Martinet. Mm -hmm. Some of them are still around. Yeah. And, um, and, um, the hamster killer, David Fox. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sven Vessing. Lily Stitches. Yeah. Two of my favorites right there. Yep, yep. Sven and Lily mm-hmm. Stitches. That was funny. They're two of our... They, they, they are our only... Until Lars is joining a select group today in, in that so far Sven and Lily and Senad have been our only repeat guests. Right. Did we, did we have Senat on twice? Yes. Yes, we, we had Senat yeah. on twice. Yeah, so there are, they have been our only repeat guests. Well, now our, our, how is, Americans say it's Senat. Yes, so. yes. But now, <laughs> but now Lars will be joining that, that elite cadre of, of Three. repeat guests. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, like that's, that's what mus- this is. Musketeers. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what this is. And we could not think of anyone better to have for our 50th podcast. Than the guy that we had on our very first podcast. Also, yep. because you know, comparatively, four years ago we were not as well trained in this as we are now, and so listening back to the early podcasts, I kind of go oh, when I when I hear certain things said or when I hear a piece of terrible editing. So it's nice to kind of have a do over. Nice. If you know what I mean. So, but we will not go like George Lucas and delete the old one. Yeah, yeah, no, we're not going to do that, or or dub in new stuff over it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's happening in a, in, in a minute. Um, so, news: What do we have happening in the world? We spoke today. about guests, and yeah. um, we also had John Traper, Captain Crunch, the old yes, um, phone freaker, as a guest. We did indeed have him. Yes, the second guy that I interviewed for the YouTube channel and one of the early guys we interviewed about his recent activities, like his book mm-hmm. for the podcast. And actually, um, four weeks ago, he released his book. Let me show you the book. I have it okay. here. 
he's going to get the book. Yep. He's got the book. So, yeah. So this is the book. Okay. It's on Draper, on the front, on the back. Okay. Beyond the Little Blue Box by John T. Draper and C. Wilson Fraser. Did he and autograph he it for you? Talking... Huh? Did he autograph it for you? Yeah. Oh, he did? Oh, I'll be damned. Yep. I was a joke. I I would I thought you were going to say no, but oh, look at that. Yeah. Nice. Yep, yep. Nice, isn't it? And um it comes with the <laughs> with the calling card oh. repro. Nice, nice. And uh Captain Crunch, thank you for supporting me mm-hmm. postcards. Mm-hmm. And a replica of the Captain Crunch whistle. Ooh. <laughs> and you know, this thing was always that he had to um, put put the finger above the hole and right. then make a whistle. So let's see if that works. Oh, look at that. Nice. nice. So if there was still analog telephone network, I would have... Had a free call now. Mm. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's being out, and that's really awesome because he was talking about that for almost 10 years, that my book is coming out soon, and now it's finally out. I didn't read it yet, but I am thrilled to read it soon. Awesome. And um, another thing is, we spoke about, um, yeah, about Capcom re-releasing... Um, Mega Man and um, Street Fighter 2. Yeah. So there was a postcard with it to join the Legacy Cartridge Collection Craze Club. Okay. And I actually got a welcome letter. Are you joined? I am 8 bit. Oh. And a fanny pack. Oh, Lord. Yes, with stickers in it and little batches. Wow. And all that stuff. Fantastic. And thanks to Trump and the um, customs law and, you know, the fines. Yes, It yes. takes like, like six weeks for customs to check every item <laughs> that is coming from America. Yep. So it took... Two months and a half to get to me. Yikes. Thanks to your politicians. <sighs> yeah. Hey, hey, my politicians. The customs workers have more to do, but of course they don't stack up the staff yeah. number. Right. So, hey, just takes a little bit longer. <laughs> and we spoke about the Gem FM. This is the second batch. Nice. And I just got mine on Saturday. I picked it up from the postal service. And AJ is getting his too. Um, and we will still on the we way. will try to support this for Scene World. Yes. And it comes with a little manual. So hey, cool. It's awesome. It's really awesome. I tried it already. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's freaking awesome. Nice. And that is why I wanted to make this a video podcast so I can show you guys <laughs> the news. Give us a close up. In- close up of that. Oh, look at that. Very nice. Yay! Fanny pack! Fanny pack, nice. 
<sighs> a couple, a couple, uh, a couple podcasts ago, we left, we talked to uh, Lau Brex, who was working on the me- new mechanical keyboards for the sixty four. Exactly, they're coming out. The, we got a, an email the other day, yep, saying that um, they're going into the first production. batch of uh, thirty pre orders is possible. Signature pre orders, yes, yep. So that's cool to see that going in. Um, we will link to the form where yes. you can pre-order this. Right. And if you are not part of the second batch, you will get automatically added to the other ones, I guess. Right. And and the unit price that the, these are going for is 155 euros. So exactly. that's that's within the wheelhouse of what he was aiming for when we talked to him. Yeah. So so that's a, and that's a pretty decent. That's a really good price for what is essentially a brand new engineered keyboard for this retro machine. So for old technology, yeah, yeah, yeah. and one that is you know potentially you know going to last a lot longer than the original hardware. But I will still get a set of keycaps from eBay for this. Yeah, because I know that I don't have any broken keyboard that I can butcher for this to make it complete. Oh, I, so. I used to have one. I would have sent you one. Sure, I got, but I, I, it will take weeks till I get it thanks to customs from USA. I've actually got a Tupperware thing full of keycaps sitting over there. You did? I do. Spare ones? I still do, yeah. Wow. Well, sure, send it to me. <laughs> so that, that's going. What else we got? Well, that's three things for me. Okay, and I And all physical. Yeah. All physical. <laughs> I don't. Because I don't think I have anything. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to uh, to news wise. I've been in the woods, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we didn't. According to Skype, we didn't talk for three weeks. Yeah, I went. I went camping, so I've been off the grid, and I don't know what's happening with anything. So I'm just. I'm getting back into it. We're stepping back in, and. Uh, yeah. Right. So we have a few minutes left. Let's talk about the fiftieth issue um, episode. No, we're not. We're on like issue twenty-eight, but our episode of the podcast is at fifty. Exactly. And I wanted to say, most surprising for me, you know, because I'm I'm doing Skype video interviews with yeah. people, you know, talking about the history. Yeah. It was never a problem. But with this podcast, the biggest problem is my English is not good enough. Yeah. And we get that and, time and again. We we ask, we'll approach somebody to come and be on the podcast because what they're doing is interesting, and they'll say, "My English, I I can't. My English isn't good enough." And it's then we talk to them. It, and yeah, and they, they never had an issue, right? And they talk better. They 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 talk clearer English than I do. We've never we've never had an issue in which somebody was un it was not understandable, except maybe for Massimo Canigiani from. From Commodore because he was speaking Italian. That is why we got but, Paolo. But Bester. it was perfectly legible Italian. Right. <laughs> anyway, so, this is why we got uh, Paolo Bester to be the English yes, speaker. Right. Right. But we've never had an issue where somebody was not understandable, where their English was so bad that you couldn't, that it was not listenable. So when you talk to us, don't be afraid. Just yeah. take the invitation. Thank you. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> that sounds very convincing. Yeah, we'll make you sound good. We're professionals. Yeah. 
It will speed you up if you talk too slow. What? That <laughs> I never did that before. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. So fifty. We're at fifty. This mm. also means we will hopefully get our own section as the web archive, the Internet yeah. Wayback Machine archive.org because I've been in touch with them and they told me if we get 50 of this podcast, we'll get our own podcast section. Which means that I'll never be able to pretend this never happened. Yes, then we will be stored in the archive of the internet for all time. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. So when I run for president, this is all going to get dragged out. Right. And I will email them. It should be enough to send them our RSS feed because then they can download the MP3 files. Yeah. I think we probably have the MP3 files stored on our machines, respectively. On our web server, too. Yeah. yeah. So that's easy enough. Right. So what yes. else is new in this 50th episode? I don't know. Well... Did you get a haircut? Um, always. Okay. You got a haircut. Nice. No. Um, so what else is coming up? Um, we have some interviews in the shelves. But uh, right. yeah. But now that we've done fifty, uh, we've got some new. We've got some more interesting things planned for the future. We're, we can't really go into what they are just yet. But but we've got some good episodes coming up for fifty one, fifty two, fifty three. So keep your eyes peeled. In reality, we already have enough stuff for 100. No. Well, that'd be that'd be nice. <laughs> we are we'll done see. for the next 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that we've done 50, work. we can just quit and go home now and take a nap. Like that's it. We've done it. Just mm, time for us. Time to relax. That is how big YouTubers are doing. back with my exactly. delicious Subway sandwich. That you are not drinking in the tram. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is so cheesy. This is so stupid, but that's okay. <clears throat> right. Well, so if we don't have any more news, Lars is hanging out right over there waiting to get started. So let's go and discuss some interesting stuff with him. Mm. So. So, so you said there's a lot of stuff to talk. Yeah. yeah so welcome back start. to the podcast. We are. We're going back to the beginning. Number one, the first one that we did way back in, oh, I don't know when that was, 2014, was it? Yes. Yes. June Lar 2014. So almost exactly four years ago. Right, right. So Lars was our very first guest way back when. And uh, we talked about a lot of stuff, but my, my editing was not what it is today. <laughs> and... Our preparation was what it is today. Yeah, so so it's cool to kind of go back and, and, and revisit some of this stuff and, and sort of have him back on and, and talk about this stuff again. So, hey, welcome back. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Why the heck do you, did you want uh, to celebrate the 50th uh, issue with me? Well, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's cool and it's because we get to talk about a lot of stuff that is not necessarily – C64 related, you know, we can talk about, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know, one of the things that we talked about in the first one was all the stuff that was coming out with uh, Edward Snowden yeah, and, and yeah, revelations yeah. that he came out there. Yeah. And so much stuff has gone down since, since then. 
Like, I feel like things have only gotten progressively worse since then. There's just <laughs> so, one sentence that describes it all. Trump happened. That, yes, Trump did happen. <laughs> and it went even worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like a lot of stuff happened to allow Trump to happen. You know, like the, there was there was potential hacking of elections and, you know, the the uh, the Cambridge analytic thing, you know, and 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 stuff that happens now, like with Facebook, where uh, yep, where uh, people uh, live in a bubble of they only see what they what they agree with, you know, mm. their particular views is that's all that shows up on their feed. Mm. And there's a lot of stuff like that, which I think only only makes it worse because people are, live in an echo chamber. And a lot of people feel like, you know, they can. A lot of people used to exist that were terrible, but you kept you kept your terribleness to yourself. You know, in America, you know, there were there were, you know, in the past, you know, 50 years, there were there were some Nazis around, but you didn't talk about it. You know, you kept that to yourself because it wasn't acceptable. Now, suddenly, they feel like, oh, this is cool now. I can just go and be a Nazi. And it's like, no, it's not cool. Mm. Mm. That's true. But, Same um, problem here in Germany, I would say. Hmm. With the AFD? Yes. The alternative for thinking? Yeah. Now, that's a, that's a thing that, that is interesting to me because... I, you know, being in the U.S., I hear most of the news that I get is U.S. based. So I hear about, you know, the Russian interference in our election and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of thing? Because, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Russia was interfering. That's kind of, you know, that's what you do. We interfere with them. They interfere with us. That's mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. standard operating procedure. Mm -hmm. But I would assume that same thing happens elsewhere in the world. You know, in, in Germany, something like that would come out. I don't know if it's such a as big a deal as this has been made of, but I assume all that stuff happens worldwide, right? Of course, I think Germany is not so interesting uh, for Russia because uh, we don't have the same influence uh, uh, like the USA. But of course, it happens everywhere. There is no frontier in the internet. There is mm. no border, right. and um, yeah. And uh, I think it's also very interesting what will happen with Julian Assange mm. from WikiLeaks. Probably you heard uh, that he will sooner or later be kicked out of the embassy and uh, because the president um, did make um, a deal with British uh, officials <clears throat> and it's only a matter of time that Julian Assange will be handed over to the um, British um, police. And I'm quite sure then uh, it won't take long uh, until they will uh, send them to the USA. Right. Which right, is quite that's... surprising because Ecuador was always considered not cooperating with anybody. <laughs> the president changed. Changed. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, but you don't. Uh, yeah. You may not underestimate that, and um, honestly, I also think Assange got them on their nerves, meanwhile, in the embassy. Uh, yeah. And um, how do you want to solve that situation? Uh, should he stay there until the next 10, 20 years, or what? 
So there, there must be some kind of solution, of course. He has all rights uh, to be to, to, to get asylum, but um, uh, <clears throat> because it's it's uh, clear that uh, he will be deported to the USA, and that's reason enough uh, to 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 cover him and um, uh, to protect him. But but then uh, the, the the problems uh, in in um, Sweden. Uh, are not uh, active anymore. Uh, nobody's uh, doing anything, and uh, yeah, the only thing Great Britain, uh, the only reason, the official reason they have was he had a date uh, and he flew to the embassy and he didn't show up, and that's all. But that's mm -hmm. a lot of years ago, and so normally. It's not uh, the reason to send out police cops in front of the embassy and wait that he's coming out. And, right. uh, now, what would they... So the U.S. wants to extradite him, obviously, to, to the U.S. Yeah. But yeah. now, what, for what charges? That's, that's what always kind of struck me as, as strange, because, you know, I mean, you can... Because he's not... Amer he, Julian Assange is not American. That doesn't... Uh, that, that uh, that that doesn't play any role. He he. They are quite pissed because he he helped other people to uh, spread uh, things uh, that were protected from being uh, published, and uh, that they, he 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 did uh, publish secrets and help others help uh, whistleblowers uh, to publish secrets, and that's reason enough uh, to send him to prison. I don't say that, that it's correct to do so, but they they will argue that in that way. Mm. Yeah, see, that, that strikes sure me as he a... Will, he will stay for 15, 20 or more years in the jail. Oh, I'm sure they try to put him away as, as long as possible. Yeah. It just seems it seems arrogant to me to say, this is a, this is a, 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 a person from that is not American, who is in a different country, mm. and, okay, he published some of our state secrets. And therefore, we have the right to go to wherever he is, bring him here, and put him in jail for that. That doesn't, it doesn't, it feels super arrogant to me as mm -hmm. a, I guess, you know, as, as, a, as a nation to think that we'd have the right to do that. But that's, uh, that's just, I'm, you keep saying I'm the only reasonable American, so. <laughs> well, and, and Oliver, of course, our colleague. Yeah, yeah, Oliver, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's your bad influence. Yeah. <laughs> My bad influence? Yes, yours. <laughs> there must be a reason. <laughs> We talk to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's the same with Kim.com. Right. Uh, he's also not coming from the USA, and uh, he didn't break any law in New Zealand. Mm hmm. So, what's the matter? You right. Could, yeah. Right, and uh, his big was thing he was that he is innocent, even in well, American right, well, law. Point right. Well, he said, <laughs> but Kim.com's thing was he ran a a file sharing service, which yeah. people used to pirate movies and music and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And so they're going after him, this dude that ran this service, and charging him because you know it would be really difficult to go and catch everybody that used the service to do this. So they're going to go after this dude. Who ran it, saying that he is inherently 
guilty, therefore, of piracy and everything else, which, again, is one of those things that feels super kind of, I don't know, arrogant and grasping at straws almost. You know, there's and and, it, and there's a whole other rabbit hole to go down with him, which is how, you know, the media is not, they're not dealing with new technology very well. And we saw this with the VCR, you know, they wanted to ban the VCR because they were afraid that, you know, if you could record TV shows, then no one would ever buy, buy the things, you know? Um, and, and the same thing happens with, with music now, and no one really gets the whole, you know, the, I don't think people are losing money too much by piracy, essentially. A bit, a bit, but not... It's one of those things where, where much like how the VCR changed things and the DVD changed things and whatnot, you have to you have to adapt to new forms of media and you have to adapt to the way that things are done rather than just trying to sue your way out of a bag. I think Kim.com uh, became uh, a pain in the ass because uh, at exactly at the moment when they busted him, he planned an own music service mm. you know about his uh, video with that great song mega upload song he was yeah. also not singing but speaking and he had uh, a lot of contacts very good contacts to uh, american top musicians and he told them hey come uh, with me split up with your uh, recording company uh, we will offer your music here in my um, mega box. Should should what's the name? Yeah. And uh, we share the revenues from the um, online um, advertisements, and uh, you will get the half of everything, and not only a piece of cake, like uh, in case of the music industry. Right. And I'm pretty sure that. Uh, people in Washington said, hey, that's that's a real big problem that's coming uh, to us. There is somebody who is destroying our, uh, I don't know the name, was, was heißt Geschäftsmodell? Uh, business way, model? Are, business uh, yeah. model. But yeah, he's, he, he was uh, shortly before destroying their business model, exactly. And um, if, if that's possible, maybe uh, the movie industry is the next one, or porn industry, or whatever, and it, <laughs> <laughs> it would change everything. And um, I, I think uh, Kim.com is did uh, one big has done one big mistake. She shouldn't pose in any videos. He does it there all the time. Yeah. Look how rich I am. I have yeah, the yeah. biggest boat, the fastest car, the yeah. prettiest girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are other uh, share hosters which have been uh, a lot of more dangerous for the US American market. And they didn't uh, do the same like they did with Kim.com. Why? Because he was present everywhere all right pirate and, that's, for example. and he showed everyone hey watch i'm rich mm -hmm. i've done it and i i fuck i give a fuck of a system and everybody mm -hmm. could do the same yeah yes that's that's a problem 
that they really uh, felt fucked up. And when the idea with the mega box became public, uh, they, had, they had big fears. And um, uh, why did they have to, to use machine guns or helicopters? I know, <laughs> I know. It's so ridiculous. Uh, uh, they used uh, secret service to break encryptions from Skype to to lock uh, chat protocols, which isn't allowed, and and such stuff. Uh, normally, you, you would have done that for a person who's responsible for for murder from hundred and thousand people, and not from some some fat German doing business with the music industry. Sorry, mm -hmm. but. Uh, Luckily, but, he had a panic room to escape yeah. to. <laughs> but they, they, they told him they would enter it, and so he had to come out. But, but I, 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 if you are just waking up and you hear, oh uh, yeah, right. But, uh, uh, that that that's strange. And also, uh, one thing is is clear: Kim Dotcom thought that he's safe. Because uh, he was deleting, um, he, he was following the DMCA, the D Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So that means if you are a rights holder and you can say, hey, there is link uh, XY, it's uh, infringing my copyright and you have to delete it. And they did delete very quickly, I heard. I'm here in Germany in contact with um, several anti-piracy companies, and they told me, hey, Kim was one of the fastest uh, deleting uh, those uh, files. And everybody thought, okay, as long as I uh, comply and if I uh, delete the, the links, nothing could happen. And then they came and brought him out of the house, uh, took away all luxury cars and put him in jail and, and uh, other suspects as well. And the family was present, the little kids were present. And uh, it was a, a huge surprise for, for the whole scene, for, for all yeah. people being, uh, having had anything to do with a shareholder. And suddenly users from the USA were forbidden everywhere because they, oh God, I'm the next one. If, mm -hmm. if it could happen to him, it could happen also to me. And uh, yeah, and, and that, I think that's exactly, they, they wanted to send out a signal, hey, don't don't think that you're safe. Right. We get yeah. to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure it, it, it will take up to a year until uh, we know, definitely know, uh, if they uh, may deport him uh, to the USA. And I'm afraid they will do. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. And one of the things that he and uh, Julian Assange both had in common is that they both made themselves utterly obnoxious. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, in as much as they may not necessarily be guilty of things, public opinion looks at them as these two assholes that, you know, that, that and, and, and there's not much sympathy for them, mm. you know. But didn't, um, didn't the New Zealand courts, shortly after he was captured, didn't they rule that that was not, whatever warrants were used to do that were not relevant? Uh, 
Yeah, he also got back most of his money mm. and uh, his luxury cars and all the stuff. But uh, he's still not allowed uh, to leave New Zealand. He has mm. to uh, go to the police station once a week and to say, hey, I'm still here. <laughs> 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 and um, I think Assange and Kim Dotcom uh, have something in common. They have both a real huge ego. Right. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. was the reason for, for most problems of Kim.com was uh, he, he, he simply couldn't do anything else than acting in videos with right. fast cars and great girls and fat music and I am the best and everything is the coolest. And, um, and, and, and that is a problem. And you have almost the same problem with Julian Assange uh, as mm -hmm. well. And right. uh, uh, honestly spoken, I, I ask myself if, if it's not uh, good for WikiLeaks, if they would lose this dict sort of dictator. But uh, I've, I don't think there is any sort of democracy inside of WikiLeaks. Mm -hmm. What Assange wants uh, has to be done, and WikiLeaks is Assange, and Assange is WikiLeaks, you know what I mean. Right. So maybe it would uh, be a good moment for a re reboot of this organization and uh, establishing other structures, more democratic structures, and it was everything focusing only on Assange. Assange with a cat, cat a cat with Assange, uh, Assange <laughs> was cut from the internet, Assange was reading a book or publishing a book and... Um, uh, and taking and, a dump. Yeah, <laughs> 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 um, yeah that, that, that's a problem. Okay, uh, he, he would have the same problems uh, in the USA uh, as well, but... Um, it made it easier to, to go afterwards him. And right. I, I think Kim.com wouldn't, they wouldn't have uh, made the raid. Uh, it, it, our shareholders didn't exist so much shorter and they didn't have any problems after all. So it could, could have been a big difference. Mm. But I, I know Kim a little bit. Uh, we've never spoken personally to each other. He wanted to log on into my uh, illegal uh, BBS uh, in the early 90s. And um, I was a system operator. Um, and uh, it was a long time before internet did play any role uh, at home. You had internet access in the university. And uh, the, the army had, had it. And that was all. And uh, it, it took... Uh, many years uh, in, in the 90s before anybody could log into the internet and uh, then he logged on and uh, wanted to have full access but i heard bad rumors about him and kicked him out he and, didn't uh, have the refs <laughs> 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 and then in, in the neighborhood uh, all those other people distributing illegal stuff uh, had visitation from the police and in all those bulletin board systems Kim had access and uh, yeah you can imagine the rest mm. so I, I don't know what is true but uh, exactly at the time when Kim.com wanted to have access to all 
good bulletin boards in Germany uh, some weeks after they all have been busted. And mm. uh, he, uh, Kim had uh, was uh, living in Munich. He was coming from the Navon um, part of Germany, you know. And he was already living in Munich. And in the meantime, he tried to connect to the Chaos Computer Club. But they didn't want him. And um, in Munich, he was driving himself a real huge uh, bulletin board system. And he was uh, maintaining an own uh, consoles group, a release group called ROM Kits. Maybe you have heard about it. Okay. And he had very good contacts and they have also released some stuff for um, uh, from Microsoft and uh, he was dealing with other guys uh, cracking Amiga games and so people were hot for new stuff and uploads from him and short after uh, it, the game was over. Hmm. I actually heard about Kim.com that he wasn't such a good cracker. He thought he was good, but he wasn't. He wasn't. But he was uh, very, very, very good uh, when it came to uh, manu manipulate other people. I know. Social engineering. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew, I know a very good cracker from uh, Berlin. And uh, he was uh, Kim was very convincing, and he, he wasn't he was a user, mm -hmm. like we all are. He wasn't a, he he's never been a programmer. He was a user, but um, he had good ideas, um, like for example, mega upload, and it, it was the first sharing hoster share hoster at all. Rapid share here in Europe uh, came months later. And uh, he was, he had very good connections and he was very convincing. If he had a good idea, he could say, okay, you do this and you do that and you are able to do that. You have a programmer, you have a designer, you do what, whatever and uh, the security or what, whatever. And um, that's what he's doing very well and he doesn't give up. Uh, that's something that I really adore. <laughs> I don't like him very much. He knows that. Uh, but what I really adore, he's not giving up. Mm. Like he's, me, I'm never giving up. Keep fighting on, and it's <laughs> obvious what will happen. But he, he's, he doesn't give up, and that's that's. Yeah. yeah. I, I find it interesting the different ways in which. Like piracy is being gone after now. There's there's a thing here that they're doing in the U.S. where um, your service some service providers, not all of them, uh, like mine here, I don't think does it. Not that I download anything illegally, but no, of course, no, no. I would never never do such a thing. But um, some of them, if you do, um, the ISPs have teamed up with a company that can identify what's being sent. And so you'll get a you'll get a, a a piece of mail saying you know we recently saw that you downloaded Lord of the Rings illegally, and then it'll it'll give you like a list of what the penalties for such a thing are, and from what I gather, no one's ever been prosecuted. They're just trying to scare you into not doing it again. So it's a sort of three strikes. Well, that's what they say, but as far as I know, there's never been 
you just keep getting letters. They don't, there's no, no one's ever been, you know, actually prosecuted for any of this because you can't, it, you know, it, it strikes me as something that would be very difficult to prove because everyone's got Wi-Fi now. You know, someone could be hacked into my Wi-Fi downloading stuff easily. Mm. And Germany, that doesn't protect you from being punished. No? No. Mm. So, uh, See, I always have, figure if I can download anything, I'll just... An uncrackable password. Mm. And uh, if, if you don't want to be punished yourself, uh, you must um, tell them who else did it. Mm. Who else had that password? Your girlfriend, or the children, maybe, maybe friends or the neighbors, and uh, you can say, okay, it was my son, and then here you will have to pay the fine, mm. but that, that won't help you in any way. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, uh, and in Germany, it's very easy to, to um, catch uh, people as long as they are uh, file sharing with peer-to-peer. Because they they um, doing they are uh, themselves offering the downloads and then you uh, transfer your IP address and short while after uh, your uh, ISP gets a letter hey uh, we have a copyright infringement and give me the address and name of a person who has done that and uh, then it's getting. Um, very expensive. Uh, it costs about 800 if it's cheap, and more than 1,000 uh, euros uh, if it's getting a bit more expensive. And it's um, it's still a, a real big problem here in Germany. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I the I was always under the impression too that download just downloading something wasn't necessarily a crime in itself. It was sharing of that thing because. Because technically speaking, if I have a copy of The Lord of the Rings and I yep. want to make a backup copy of that, you're allowed to under copyright law. Um, okay. A, a lot of DVDs now, right, under copyright law, you're allowed to make a copy for your own use, a backup. A lot of DVDs and Blu-ray now have protection against yep. us. You try to make a backup and it doesn't. So in that instance, then going on to file sharing, downloading a copy of The Lord of the Rings when I already own it, is yeah, but at the, in the same second, you're also sending exactly that files to other people. Well, but if you, you can, you can often turn sharing off if you're if you're uh, down. Not, not always. But not always. Not always. But there, there might be pro programs. Uh, there are programs uh, which are able to do that. But if you're standing in the park in Germany, it it already happened that you're told. Uh, um, the lawyer, hey, I wasn't able to upload it. My client is only able to download stuff. And they're told, no, uh, you have to pay. Mm. Well, it doesn't help you at all. Well, in reality, I'm not downloading anything illegal since over, <laughs> I don't know how much years. But I'm not doing it either. I don't want to take the risk like, even. Yeah, like I said, I would never, never do that. <laughs> Just, well, I, just, well, I just, can say just use I the Wi-Fi for the store downstairs. <laughs> I, I, I think it uh, sometimes it makes sense to have uh, a copy of, of those uh, things that you have uh, been right. paying for. That's mm -hmm. absolutely correct. And in, 
uh, speaking of a German lo law, you are uh, allowed to give uh, seven copies of your um, stuff, of your copyrighted stuff, to family members and close friends. But you are not allowed to spread it uh, in the public. That's the difference. And right. you're not allowed yeah. to work around copy protection, I have heard. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. That's so, true. you are lost in such cases then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's one of those things where the movie, the, the entertainment industry just doesn't, they don't quite get it and they don't quite, they're, they're trying, they're, they're fighting it rather than trying to figure out a way in which they can continue to, to exist and profit. Well, I think Netflix did a good way. Right, yeah. I'm a fan of I'm, Netflix. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, it's not expensive. It's a good flat rate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the best uh, method against piracy is to offer good legal choices. Right. If you have option to buy a good product and it's not too expensive, people will buy it. There's no doubt about it. Look at Spotify, look at Netflix and, uh, and so on. And not a single service of that is from the movie industry or from the music industry. Most uh, music files being downloaded uh, is from a computer distributor, uh, Apple right. and uh, Amazon. They never had anything in common with music. And uh, Netflix uh, has begun in the USA by, by sending DVDs uh, by post to, to the customers so you have landed. And years, many years later, they uh, built up that um, streaming uh, subscription service. And I'm also a big fan because it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Good uh, voices. Uh, nobody in the cinema is standing up right in front right. of the camera. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, you have no problems with the sound, and I don't need to watch the newest uh, uh, movies from the cinema. Uh, there is so much good stuff out there, which is a big, a bit older. I don't miss anything. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, here and there uh, watching at uh, streaming websites, and but um, most things that I consume uh, are TV series and uh, movies from Netflix. Yeah, yeah. That, I don't even have a I don't have cable service or anything in my oh. house. I have a TV, but it's Netflix. So that's everything that that I watch on there. You know, that's that's. It, it, which you know, TV is also struggling. They haven't really figured out what to how to adapt to this new stuff. Well, here in Germany, most uh, money they they are earning is coming from cable internet. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, well, I have cable internet, but I don't have cable TV. Cable internet, okay. I've been speaking um, with uh, people from the movie industry. I've been. Um, on um, an event from the uh, GVU in German, it uh, called it's called Gesellschaftsverfolgung von Urheberrechten. That means um, they are for for the customers are companies from the music industry, not music industry, mostly movie and games industry, and now also uh, books, and uh, they are hunting the pirates. So to to mm. make a bit shorter, and they had uh, a big conference with 500 people, maybe, 
and um, it uh, it was very uh, funny because uh, the moderator um, uh, didn't show up because they had fog and he could fl use uh, his plane and uh, so they asked me can't you ask can't you do it for me I was uh, present as a guest, not a moderator, and our topic was how to convert pirates to consumers. And uh, the room was full, I don't know, three or four hundred people from the, mostly from the movie industry. And of course, uh, lawyers and uh, anti-piracy companies and uh, people from the police and such stuff and then I was um, discussing with, with other people and then I asked to the crowd hey we have the internet you have movies why the heck isn't it possible to fucking sell the new releases by the internet no we can't do that it's impossible okay why tell me I want to understand it really honestly yeah, we, we have uh, uh, treaties and they can, we cannot break those treaties because um, we, the, the, the industry has uh, the exclusive right only to show new movies in the cinema for maybe three months. And then it is allowed to distribute those movies later by DVD and Blu-ray. And then months later, it is allowed to buy um, the rights for the uh, movies for um, TV companies. So it can be uh, distributed in, in, and you can watch it on the TV. And uh, at, at, at that time, uh, that's maybe uh, nine months to, or one year or later, it would mm -hmm. normally be possible to buy the rights to watch these movies with digital rights management or whatever on, on your PC by the internet. And I told them, hey, okay, you can't break your treaties, that's correct, but there is a new movie, there is a new deal you are signing, so don't tell me shit, please. What's the reason? And the true reason is, actually, it, it's quite simple. The movie industry is still making the most money if they are exclusively distributing the movies in the first months only in the cinemas. Right. They have fear that people won't go to the cinema anymore and they would instead watch it on the uh, computer. And I told them, okay, I can understand that, but make it expensive. Just imagine there's a family. Mom and dad and two children. You have to go to your car, you have to drive with your car to the cinema. Then you have to buy four tickets. Coca-Cola, popcorn, nachos, cheese, whatever. Then here in Germany, you will have to buy 100 euro or more. Mm -hmm. Nobody is able to spend so much money. And then if you would have a possibility to buy that movie on your home, television on your computer for $20 or euro, it's $80 less. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people would do that. Oh, yeah. They had no answer. They couldn't say anything because they didn't want to tell too much. It's, it's really 
they they don't want to to eat themselves mm -hmm. so if they have a fear if it's distributed over the internet people won't buy any tickets uh for the cinemas anymore right and that's you know they've been that's the sort of thing where where if you are if you want to see the movie if you if you really want to see it you're going to go you know a new star wars movie comes out i'm going to go to the movie theater and see it Regardless of whether I can get, I can get it online, sure, because you know you, people take you know a horrible video of it, but you can see it. You can see the movie before you go to the theater. But even if I've seen it, or if I if I know what's going to happen, I want to see it on a big screen. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you really want to see that movie, if you're really interested, you're going to pay the money to go and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. but also, yeah, but, but distributing it online as well opens up a whole different revenue stream mm -hmm. because. You know, there's a lot of times where I'll see a movie in theaters and I come back and I'm like, I want to see that again. Or I, I kind of missed something. But I'm mm -hmm. not going to go back to the theater and do that again. But I would totally go and buy it online real quick. Mm -hmm. Or even rent it, you know, spend a couple of bucks to be able to watch it once. And yeah. that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's a whole other revenue stream. But again, you know, as as we've said, the entertainment industry, I feel like, is hanging on to, they're clinging to what they've, been doing in the past, mm. and it's also important to remember that the that the the movie and enter and music industries are in it for the for the music and entertainment industries, and not for the actors and artists. Uh, uh, That's why people it's, it's, like Chris Hillsback actually left uh -huh. the music industry and said, "I don't want to be protected by you anymore." Yeah, and distributing it on on his own via Bandcamp and other platforms. Yeah, uh -huh. and and you know, artists often get just the smallest cut of whatever is being made, you know, on on sales and everything else, you know. So it's it's unless you're your own label, and we've seen a lot of people doing different, you know, independent sort of here it's online, pay what you want for it sorts of things, and I, I guess it's successful because they've continued to do it. I think. Radio For example, Humble Bumble, which is mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. most known game package, and you pay yeah, what yeah. you want. Mm -hmm. I think I think Nick Vivid did something like that with one of his albums. It was kind of a, you know, here, here's the music, pay what you think it's worth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the problem is just um, you need a record company to make you famous. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you're not uh, well known, nobody will buy yeah. anything from you. Uh, Chris Hillsback is luckily very well known, and so he has his own fan base, and people will spend their money on his music. I've got no doubt about that. But uh, if you are at the start of, of your career, you need an organization that's pushing you with marketing and advertisements and and such stuff and. Right. Uh, uh, the musical industry, I, I'm, I'm not, um, don't get me wrong, it's not that I, I want to, to protect or to say, sorry, oh, the poor music industry and such stuff, but they, they also have a role because uh, they are sorting out bad from good ones, mm -hmm. they're supporting the good ones, so they're getting even better. And uh, just watch out at uh, free music, Jamendo uh, and what, what they are all called. There's also a lot of trash. For my ears, it, it's trash. 
Yeah, and, and nothing happens. Uh, people may use it by Creative Commons uh, license, or they, they try to sell uh, something. And uh, if, if you're speaking about um, Radiohead or what was the other name? There's also another group that uh, try to distribute the music uh, on their own. Uh, it's not easy. And both mm. went back to the music uh, company. Yeah. Uh, because uh, as a musician, it's your job to create music and you have no time left for anything else. You're, you're going on tour and you're playing your instrument and you have to learn it and everything else. Uh, it's very time consuming and uh, you, you can't be a good marketer and a good musician as in the same person. And, and right. every day only has 24 hours. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I feel like the, the... actually that they are planning to expand the days. No, no. <laughs> I feel like the the the, um, yeah. the the music industry the 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 whole uh, uh, company motto or company uh, style of you know you need a, a the music the, the actual you know marketing company to get you going has has a downside and an upside and a lot of it is that back in the the 50s and 60s you had a lot of artists that were sort of they'd come out and the executive would be like i don't know what this is but the kids seem to like it so play it mm -hmm. you know nowadays it's more you know stick within what we think is safe and mm -hmm. they don't take mm -hmm. they don't take risk on new yeah. new acts that might be really good and mm -hmm. you see this a lot in publishing too but it's it has an upside and a downside in that a lot of times new interesting stuff may get overlooked. But the ability to, in, self, in publishing now with writing, uh, it used to be really difficult to get published. Mm. You know, you'd have to submit your manuscript and they'd look it over and then they'd, you know, they'd send it back most of the time and say, no, we don't want it. Or if they did want it, they'd end up editing it to, into, you know, to bejesus and back. Nowadays, you can write something and you can publish it on Amazon. Publish on demand, yes. Right. Which, which, while it also it opens the doors for good stuff that may never have been published before, it also opens the doors for a lot of crap. Yeah, that's true. Because that's any true. schlub can do, you know, can can write write an album or you know make a you know write a book which is garbage and just self publish mm -hmm. it. And it's tough now. It's tough to wade through that. It's tough to sift through the trash and find that one little shiny gem that may not have made it before. Yeah, now yeah. has. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. So it's. I, I feel like a lot of this stuff sort of still needs to evolve into mm. into something into something else because it really we're we're sticking to a an early twentieth century model for a lot of this. You know, mm. clinging but to it. Last week, I actually read that for the first time, the music industry did sell more music digital than. On audio CDs, really? really? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't doubt that. That's and true. that's and that's you know and again I you know if I like the artist if I want to if if I'm I've been buying things digitally for a while, and while you can download it for free places a lot of times, um, if I like the artist, then I'm going to go and spend the money to get the album. Yeah, yeah. Online because I don't have. 
I, I don't have a CD player, and I don't, you know, I don't have anything to to use with this anymore. So having an actual physical CD isn't as important to me as it was back mm. in 1995. Mm. But, um, but yeah, still, you know, if you really want it, if if you support the artist, you're going to spend the money on it rather than just leech it for free and be like, you know, I really like, you know, Pink Floyd, but I'm not going to spend the money. They don't, they don't need my money. Well, it's not yeah. like like digital music is expensive. I mean, I know, it you is. know, depends. I mean, I can buy a piece of music for a euro mm -hmm. if I'm lucky, you know, and it's a lot easier than just click on download than going through converting and track and drop it to, to iTunes, then connecting right, right. my iPhone, then copying it to that. Yeah, well, you know, iTunes, it's, you know, a buck 99 per song, I think, if, if it's if it's popular. And like, you know, I don't know, if you can't afford a dollar 99 a song, you got more problems to worry about than downloading that album. <laughs> That's true, actually, yeah. yes. yes. But, so, but I, also see, I also see a trend going back in the way, you know, you have this lot of crowdfunding and Kickstarter, Indiegogo, yeah. and a lot mm. of games released, music releases actually have a physical reward. Mm -hmm. So you get a box on a CD. Well, some people are still, that's still important. Like, like That's important to you. You like to have the physical thing. I know. For yeah. me, most of the time, I couldn't care less. It's, it's just more stuff to take up space in my house. So I don't mm -hmm. care about the physical reward too much, having like an actual you know disc or something. I, I don't care. But a lot of people, they still like to have that You know that shelf where they could have their, their 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 boxes and whatnot. That nostalgia, which you know something like that. But also with the crowdfunding, as you're saying, that sort of is the next step, like the kind of evolution that I'm talking about to the next thing. Because with that, most of the money that's going to be raised will go to the person creating, the artist or the writer or the programmer or whatever, rather than to, you know, it's it's going to go to you, the game designer, rather than to Electronic Arts, who will then pay you a bit of that. You know, so, I, yeah, I feel like that's kind of like the next step that has to be mm. sort of made in all these industries where we kind of kick around everything else and start, start getting what people want to be made, made. But you, you may not also not forget that uh, it's not cheap, to make a crowdfunding uh, at Indiegogo and um, Kickstarter. And also, I've been um, publishing an ebook on my own mm -hmm. and um, with, with Amazon. And uh, it took so me. One of the good ones. <laughs> it was a good one, yeah, of course. Um, and it took me half an hour to, to um, find out uh, that uh, Amazon would not get. 70% of the revenue and I was uh, I should have uh, 30% and then I asked some people hey what can I do what 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 makes a difference and now I, I think uh, Amazon is still getting uh, 60 and I'm getting 40% or, but I don't know exactly but Uh, the standard revenue system is really Amazon is getting 70% of every mm -hmm. cent that you earn. And that's yeah. fucking much. Yeah. Uh, that's the dark side of this yeah. revenue. Well, have, you had, have you had books published like in the old, the old model? No. 
Okay. Well, it's it's a lot of the same thing. I th- I'd say it's even less than less than thirty percent for what you would get from the old model, because there you're getting okay. a, a you're That's getting true. a couple of cents per book sold. You know, yeah, and it's, true. you know, most of the money, most of the, the revenue that's coming in is going towards reimbursing the publisher for the printing of the books. You know, so you'll get a percentage of what they do, but but they're going to mm-hmm. just keep trying to recoup whatever they spent to po- to print that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's you'd often you'd often wouldn't see anything for a long time. And then after after their cost was was recouped then you'd start getting your residuals which were you know percentage but that is probably why retro people like Sam Trier made their own publishing company yeah mhm mhm yeah and that's that's why the amazon thing kind of works because you know sure they're taking a big cut of it but you're getting you're you're getting back something every time someone every time someone buys something you're getting you know, mm. a check or, or, you know, a deposit or, or whatever, which you, you normally wouldn't get. That's true. But what is interesting, they were only hosting my files. They have years ago established the systems or uploaded and they converted in another system, uh, EPUB format, and uh, they, they still got 70% for nothing. Or mm-hmm. More than nothing. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That's my problem. No, what 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 they are really doing? They they don't advertise. They they're not, not doing anything for me. It's it's just a, a, a system which has been established uh, a long time ago, and they still want most of the money that, that I earn from it. And that, right. That, uh, well, well, they do but, kind but, of advertising. If you buy something similar, they will. Put your book yeah. under maybe, maybe the maybe. people who really, bought this lucky, also yeah. bought this. Yeah, that's that's maybe. I I don't know if I would want to pay them for that kind of advertising though. Yeah, uh, okay. I could see if if they were if it was the sort of thing, it would make more sense if this here's a physical book that someone ordered, right? So they're mm-hmm. they're it's going to actually get printed. It's you know print on demand. Mm-hmm. Then. They're going to take however much to cover the cost of printing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but if yeah. you're, you know, downloading the Kindle version, they don't need seven. They don't need seventy percent of that. That's the point. Yeah. They pay the electricity bill from. And he's like, here's a PDF. Give me my money. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I would have a question for you guys. Sure. Uh, what's what's often comes in my mind. Uh, I know the C64 is older than the Amiga, but if you compare the Amiga scene with the C64 scene, Amiga scene is something like that, and C64 scene is something like that. Mm-hmm. Why? You what's know, I have. I've been wondering the same thing because I just recently, uh, last year, I got, I finally got an Amiga, which I always wanted. You know, I got an Amiga 500, mm-hmm. and it outclasses as far as it, capability. I mean, it way outclasses the 64. It can do so much as mm-hmm. far, you know, as as an actual. You could use that as as an actual as your actual machine, whereas a 64 is kind of it. It is dated, but the amount of stuff I can get for the 64 is there's like no third-party support for the Amiga at all. Mm. I can get SD card drives for the 64, you know, 1,500 different varieties. I can get 
3,000 different Wi-Fi modems for it that are made all over the place that are all slightly different. Uh, you know, I can get all this different stuff that they're making for the 64 that they don't make anything like for the Amiga. And I don't, I don't get why, because it is such a cool machine. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, there's such a, the capabilities are, are amazing with it. The amount of things, even a stock Amiga 500 can do blows my mind. Yeah. And there's just nothing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the Amiga thing, we have a movement back to the classic Amiga. Mm-hmm. So a lot of demos being published at the revision at during Eastern were for the Amiga 500 and not mm-hmm. for a bit more modern and um, faster processors. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I was really wondering, um, okay, one explanation that I could imagine is uh, C64, every model is the same. You have exactly the same hardware, you, you have a standard. Right. If you're writing, for example, an emulator, you have to do it once, and you're you're gone, uh, and when you're through, and uh, you have the Amiga 500, we have, you have the Amiga OCS, we have the Amiga AGA, you have a PowerPC, Amiga MorphOS, and what the heck. So there is not one standard. If you're going to write an emulator, hmm, for which of them? Uh, and then people without uh, background knowledge, which who are trying to use an emulator um, like uh, Vinway for for Windows. Um, oh, what, what sort of ROM file do I have to use? If they're using the wrong ROM file, everything's crashing. And it, it, it's, of course, a lot more simple with the C64 because you have that one standard. But I, I don't get an idea why the Amiga scene is so small. During a whole year, you have maybe 20 demos or something uh-huh. like that. Right. Of, of 30, maybe. And most of them are published on one demo party at the revision in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many demos are being published for the 64 in one year. I don't know, maybe There's, hundreds? Yeah, fair amount, yeah. There's and you have amount. disc mags, which are still active, mm-hmm. and chart magazines. <laughs> we are. Scene World is doing an Amiga version, so. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, we are working we are, on we that. We are branching into that, into that section of the, of the world. For the now, York had, a, York had a theory about the Amiga scene being a bit smaller because... Um, what was that theory? I don't or, remember that theory. Yeah, I, no, so I'm I just, excited I just, to hear about my theory. Bob. I just remembered it, and then I forgot it. Oh, God. It's not one standard at the Amiga. It yeah. could be. It, that could be. But they all, you know, like the... But generally speaking, things that are written for OCS will work on AGA. Mm-hmm. And, I mean... I, the, the, the power PC Amiga and the, you know, the modern, modern Amigas... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see them necessarily as not really part of the equation because I don't. Who uses one of them? You know, who's got? I, I remember my theory. Oh, my you theory are, okay. was that the Commodore sixty four is more ancient and mm-hmm. it's more retro and it's yeah, more it's like more. an 
representation of the 80s. Oh, oh, I, I know. I remember what what your thing was. Is also the fact that that since Amiga is sort of chopped up, you know, Cloanto has part of it, and then somebody else has part of it, and somebody else is part of it. So there isn't like there isn't a unified Amiga. Mm-hmm. That's also true. Yeah. You know, it's not like you can look at the C64 and it's just the C64. There's no, you know, the SID isn't owned by one company and then some other company has the OS and mm-hmm. something else. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all just it's it's just there. Whereas the Amiga is sort of there, people are still fighting over it. Mm-hmm. But it's still a great computer. And oh, it's an amazing computer. I'm I, I'm I stunned by. I my Same family. My family went from Z64 to PC. Ugh. See, I see when I in in the in the early nineties, or early to mid nineties, I really wanted an Amiga. My sixty four was getting a bit a bit old for what I was trying to use it for, and I you know I kept looking at the catalogs for the Amiga, and I really wanted an Amiga twelve hundred. And I saved up you know saving up my lunch money at school every every day to get one of these things, and then I finally had enough. And Commodore went bankrupt, <laughs> and and the catalog stopped coming, and I couldn't get the stuff anymore. So I never ever had one. And then last year, somebody sent me this Amiga 500. So I finally finally got a chance to sit down with one. And I mean, it's it's got it's got I've got the uh, the individual computers ACA 500 plus for it. So it's got extra memory, and it's got kind of hard drive with the CF cards. So, but I mean, just a, a stock, you know, eight megahertz machine, an OS three one. I mean, it, it's amazing. This stuff, this thing, it's not the quickest thing around, but it can do stuff that, that, I, you know, I had a a, a sixty eight oh four oh Mac, and this thing blows away a twenty five megahertz sixty eight K Mac with an eight megahertz sixty eight thousand. Yeah, 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 yeah. But people don't want to use it. They were programming on Windows for Windows and mm-hmm. for C sixty four and yeah. <clears throat> but yes, I don't I don't understand it either. And and the demo, the quality of demos, I just saw one a couple of weeks ago. It was um The Fall by Deadliners, maybe? Yeah, Deadliners and another group. No, Le- Lemon Point. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And that's it's for an OCS Amiga and yeah. was it's amazing. It's it awesome. was a yeah, a excellent, amazing demo. And because a lot of times I look at some of the demos that are made on the Amiga and I think to myself, I, I could do this on a C64. You know, it's a lot of the similar effects and whatnot. Yeah, of course, of course. The Amiga was was capable of so much, and that's one of the demos that really kind of highlights what it can do. Games, I feel like that too. People are saying these classic Amiga games. And then I play them, and it's like, well, this feels like a port of a bad DOS game. Like the, like it's cap- the Amiga is capable of, you know, four thousand colors or something, and we're using four. You know, you know, and it's it's it feels like a lot of the games did not take advantage of what the machine could do, which is a hugely missed opportunity. Actually, the PC could do more than four colors. It's what two hundred fifty-six. Yeah, I'm just I'm being farcical, but. Just saying. But yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I feel like we're kind of missed with it. Like it could do. The machine is capable of so much, and a lot of stuff didn't take advantage of it. And I still, I don't know. I don't understand why. 
And now they are finally making a Wi-Fi modem for it, which is which is cool. I got one of those. But, you know, the wealth of stuff you can get for the 64 just is not matched with the Amiga. And I, I don't get it because it's such a cool thing. I think it would be a cool idea to uh, produce an Amiga 500 with maybe 20 great old popular games and to sell it like Nintendo has. Uh, yes. Done. Yeah. Or like the C64 Mini just for the Amiga? Something like that, yeah. 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 But with, with really cool games, not shit, <laughs> but yeah, those the garbage games, games. That, that you lo- would like to remember of. And, right. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would buy that uh, kind of stuff. It was also, Eric you know, and... yeah, it's also the yeah. Amiga in the US was not, was not that big. You know, the 64, yeah. and in fact, we're... You know, I know the 64 was hugely popular in the U.S., but when I was younger and I had one, you know, people would ask, what kind of computer do you have? And I was a Commodore 64. Nobody had any idea what I was talking about, mm. which was which is in retrospect. I look, I look back and I'm like, how did nobody understand what this was? Because this was like the best selling computer in the world. And nobody I know had. Why. I know why. When I spoke to Commodore workers, they often told me that they never had any advertising. They were engineering the Commodore 64, they were engineering the Amiga, but outside in the world, they didn't see advertisement for their own products they created. Right, but I would have thought that at least some of the people that, that I knew would have had would have had one, but they didn't. They had, you know, there was one person who had a, an Atom, you know, the Coleco or whatever the hell it was. I don't remember what it was. Other people had, you know, PC compatibles. And, and in school, we had Apple IIs. You know, uh, terrible Apple twos that you know didn't have the upper and lower case. If you wanted to, you, you'd type it's all uppercase, and you hit the shift and the letter. It just uh-huh. showed that it was an uppercase letter by reversing it. Okay. <laughs> fine, fine hardware. <laughs> but, but if you look at the uh, emulator websites, they are uh, very popular. Oh yeah. And the demand is extremely huge if Nintendo isn't uh... <laughs> yeah and, and what you said before about the, the emulators being more difficult that that is true because I can download vice and get a disk image and just double click the image and I'm playing a c64 game uh-huh. with with you know UAE I've got it on the Mac again you open it up and here's this thing you know disk image do you want a hard drive do you what graphics do you have do you want what kickstart do you use uh, it's too complicated you know, Right. There's there's more stuff, and you have to have the the Kickstart image, which you can't yeah. have unless you have an actual Amiga. Are you uh, th- th- theoretically, <laughs> yeah, you can you can get it, but <clears throat> you're not supposed to. <laughs> but you you weren't doing furtering anymore. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you know there, there's there's a lot there's some barriers to people maybe mm-hmm. using that. Uh, would... This Maxine on Amiga is. Almost that. We have only one charts magazine, like I said, called Versus. And well, now, now two, Casino World 2. Everything else is dead. And, okay, maybe later Casino World. And then we have one other rear view disc mag from Spaceballs, which is coming out here and then. Um, and everything else is dead. Uh, there is nothing anymore. In former times, we had four, five, or six active disc mags coming out uh, each three or four months. 
with high quality articles uh, and a lot of them you, you, you had to offer 60, 70 or 80 well written articles uh, if you wanted to build a good uh, reputation for a disk Mac and it, it took you a long, long time to organize all that stuff. I don't have to tell it to you because you're doing it on your own, you wanted to have a good title picture, good music, uh, people writing uh, things for you, you wanted to have uh, top of the edge uh, news that nobody knew before, and it also Everything is costing a lot of time, and uh, I don't know why, but uh, with the internet, nobody is caring anymore. But uh, sorry, it isn't the same to to read a, a poor disc discussion or on a forum from C64, or if you read an article from a disc mag, and but uh, right. nobody's caring anymore. Right. Right. You also wrote an article for our last Scene World issue. Yeah. Thank you for that again. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <clears throat> there is something about reading things on, on a disc mag that is just kind of, it's nice. I don't know what it is about it. And, and it's, it's strange because I don't really read Scene World because I don't, I don't often look at things that I've done. But... Well, we are still the only disk Mac running in a web page. Yes, yes. But see, again, you know, we're trying to make it more accessible because I, you know, I don't know that everyone would want to would want to actually fire up an emulator to do it and learn but, how um, it works if you've never right. done it before. Right, but <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't know why the yeah I don't know why the sixty four is flourishing whilst maybe it's just a matter of. It needs to get a little bit older because it seems like the 64 was kind of the same, and then suddenly there's been an uptick in the last couple of years. Mm. So maybe maybe the Amiga just needs to get to that age, and then it'll pop up there too as it becomes more retro. I don't think so. No, because uh, if you compare the music, you have a typical chip sound, and uh, Amiga music will never sound like that, and you have. Uh, restrictions with um, resolution, which is quite low, and uh, the number of colors and such stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, it's still a lot, of course, it's getting older, uh, as we are doing. And uh, there, there has never been a change of generation because, okay, like, for example, Lemon, the, the demo that you have been speaking about, it's been coded by Dan of Lemon, and it's the same person. He just took a break for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And then he, uh, uh, he, he gathered with other people in Facebook groups and began to discuss and heard news and, hey, I, I could uh, develop an effect once again. And he's, he began to be interested again. But we are also getting old, having family, children, a job and such stuff. But uh, the Amiga, I don't know why we are, we have uh, more problems, and I also think it's not the right, the same retro feeling. Mm. Yeah, right. Have that disturbing music and the the few colors, and it's it's. Um, 
I, I don't know how to how to explain. I, I think there may also be a learning curve too with with some one of the things you know the 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 BBS scene currently is sort of kind of exploding again. There's, there's a lot of activity on on some BBSs that are Telnet connected. Okay. And I've been I've been on some of them for about a year and a half, maybe two years now. And one of the things you see is that a lot of people are new to this. They're they're younger people. They just got a C64 and they're trying it out. They got the Wi-Fi modem and it's like, you know, they're exploring this thing for the first time. Mm-hmm. But again, with the 64, you can get the machine, you can get, you know, an SD card drive and your Wi-Fi modem and you're good to go. Whereas with the Amiga, there's more of a there's more of an investment because you need to get the the machine, you need to get the OS, you need to find, you know, a lot of times a stock Amiga isn't going to isn't going to really cut it for what you want to do. So you got to get the little, you know, extensions and stuff. Mm. And, you know, uh, the, my 500 came with, uh, you know, kickstart one, two, but some of the, some of the newer stuff that, you know, I want to do with it needs the newer kickstart. So I had to get the kickstart three, one, which Mm. you can't just plug in. No, you have to like put it in and then run wires between different things because it's a revision five motherboard. (laughs) And, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that, that, I'm willing to sit down and learn it because I really yeah. want to, you know, discover it. But, but the casual person that is just getting into retro stuff mm-hmm. might not, might not want to learn this stuff just to play, you know, agony. Well, I mean, I have I have counter examples. I know, for example, like Jurg. Jurg Jurg says he will not have an Amiga because he does not want to learn something new. <laughs> yeah, I'm too old for that. Sorry. No, exactly. <laughs> see, see, that's. That's why the Amiga scene is small. It's his fault. <laughs> My Can't fault. <laughs> My fault. Well, uh, one credit to me, at least thanks to Scene World, games are NTSC fixed again. Before yes. suddenly there's an American market and everybody sees it, you know? Yeah, well, that's... We started with Scene World 18 years ago. Everybody was like, there's no activity in America, Canada, whatever. We don't care about them, you know. And it's well, like, that's no, partially internet too, because you know, back back then, you know, everybody sort of had their own little. NTSC existed in NTSC, PAL existed in PAL. We didn't really interact much. Now it's just sort of sixty four, and there's no, there's you know, you have NTSC guys, you have PAL guys, and we're all sort of collaborating. It's way easier to do that because I don't have to call Denmark or something to 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 get on a board, you know, because it's. Everything is telnetted. I can do it. There's no phone bill. There's, you know, or I can just go on to the internet. Right. Exactly. You just go on to, I can talk to Jurg on Skype and it's like he's sitting in the room with me, Mm. you know, except that, you know, I can actually just turn it off and he's not sitting in the room with me anymore. If he was sitting in the room with me, I couldn't get rid of him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's very hard to get rid of me. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, so there's a lot of, it's, there's more. Of that with the with the sixty four, I feel now, which is why there's a lot of NTSC stuff being being worked on because because you sort of feel and the Amiga wasn't huge in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, it was really big in Europe and over here. It didn't it didn't quite pick up steam, and I and and, and I don't recall the Atari ever picking up steam over here either. Mm. You know, I feel like it went from the eight bits straight to Mac and PC. Mm, and mm, and mm. whilst you know, up, you know, there was that 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 section where there was a, a couple of different things: Atari and Commodore and Mac and and whatever else. 
Um, I never, I never, this is the first, when I got my Amiga, that was the first time that I ever actually touched an Amiga or saw one in person. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's kind of shocking considering it was a fairly popular computer. I've never actually seen one before is, wow. yeah, I, I would have thought that I would have run into one somewhere, but never did. And to, to get the circle closed, Uh, of course, we didn't have huge phone bills because we, in the beginning of the 90s, we were uh, using Blue Box. Uh, that well, means. I never do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course I did. Uh, I had a PBS running with three mm -hmm. nodes, and there was fresh stuff needed uh, daily. And uh, uh, the German telecom didn't act. I'm, I'm quite sure they knew about it because. Um, I think around 10,000 people in Germany alone did that. <laughs> uh, so it was quite common. Also, not uh, people are not being very quite much inside the scene, knew how to to call for free. And then Kim.com showed up in the German uh, television and has shown everybody how easy it has been uh, to make uh, phone calls for free. And two days later, yeah, yeah. nobody was able to blue box anymore. And then we had to buy illegal calling cards. And you make a guess who was selling Calling cards? You're right, Kim.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking, uh. of, speaking of which, I heard Gully.com, the big German piracy gray area portal is being rebooted. You wanted to tell me about that. You said yeah. you talk about that in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how, how interesting this is for retro fans, but... Always. Everything okay. is interesting that you talk about. <laughs> That's yeah. why we invited you. Okay, thank you. Um, Gully.com has been, uh, been founded in 1998, so it, it's been quite old. Um, and later, some years later, uh, Somebody has bought it and also got uh, the name Gully himself. And uh, then they have included masses of illegal links to file hosters like RapidShare, Mega Upload, uh, stuff like that. So they had an area for music, an area for handy apps, not smartphone, that's too far away, and for Amiga, and PC, and whatever you can imagine. It was very, very huge, and in, in Europe, the right holders didn't, for a long time, didn't have an idea what was going on there. But uh, if you have been searching for uh, an illegal program, you are stumbling Yupin Gully. There was no chance not to see it in the results of Google. And in the year 2005, they've started an own uh, news portal. 
so they had tech news on daily basis. And 2006, um, a friend of mine, he wrote uh, a book about the copyright, and he's been um, uh, a musician in the Amiga scene with the name Evramson. Uh, he, he wrote me an email, hey, Gandhi, uh, Gulli.com is searching for freelancers to write articles. I, I, I didn't have so much uh, knowledge about that, but I, I was fascinated because I've been writing uh, English articles for many years and also German interviews and reviews of uh, Amiga games and programs and uh, reports from events and uh, such stuff. And um, then uh, in 2008, it was sold uh, to um, a company which was located in Austria, in Vienna. And uh, at that time, they already had to close the gray area for the music because the music industry made them uh, problems because you had a very easy access to uh, very, very uh, many music titles. But the rest was still online. And then, um, some months later, after they've bought it, uh, they decided to close completely the gray area with all those uh, links to the share hostels because they had two decisions. They could stay in Europe and make it legal, like they did, or they uh, would have... Um, they, 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 they told everybody we went offshore to uh, organize it from Belize or Virgin, British Virgin Islands or another mailbox company, uh, which of course never existed, and uh, to make it completely illegal. But um, that wasn't an option for the owners. And um, many, many people stumbled upon uh, Google because they were searching for uh, illegal stuff and they weren't uh, finding that stuff anymore at Guli. And so uh, we have lost uh, a lot of importance uh, during that years, um, uh, uh, from 2006 to 2008, I was a freelancer. And then later I became the editor-in-chief, organizing a team of eight people writing articles, students, people going to the school, being writing for a known blog, uh, having uh, not much experience in, in such area and have shown them uh, and teached them and uh, corrected their articles. Yeah, and then later it has been sold in 2013, if I'm correct, to a company from Hamburg, from northern Germany. And they were driving some online browser games and where they were doing the marketing uh, ad advertisements for that uh, browser games. That was their business, and they were able to, well, we had 40 people being 
moderators in that uh, board. 40 people editing everything which was not allowed to write or where we could get legal troubles, uh, writing private messages to people, hey, come on, uh, write something else that's not uh, possible, what, what you're doing there. And once in a year, we all gathered uh, and drank a lot and uh, had a good time uh, during one weekend. And um, the company who was owning Gully.com, they gave them uh, food and everything for free. And that was their, uh, yeah, their in sort of income, if, if you want to, to say it that way. And then those new owners from Hamburg were able to uh, split up with a complete team except two people and then they had nobody anymore <laughs> doing anything for them so they had uh, to to uh, uh, ask their own people uh, to correct um, what what people wrote in the forum uh, yeah they had to pay for them because everybody else was gone in a way and then some weeks ago, at the end of May, suddenly Gulli.com was gone. Nobody had an idea what happened. Uh, I hadn't uh, have any more contact with uh, owners in Hamburg because we also split up only uh, a short while after I wanted to work for them. And then it took four weeks, six weeks, nothing happened. There were some strange websites with uh, strange plugins for Chrome and other advertisements, and uh, it was really weird. And then I heard the message that the old owner, uh, Randolph Jorberg, uh, did buy it, um, but uh, the forum wasn't, uh, the backup wasn't uh, set online, but it will. And uh, I don't know how many, I think four or 500,000 threads only uh, with uh, postings after postings. There is so much stuff which would which, which have uh, been lost uh, if he wouldn't have uh, bought it. And um, I don't know what, what he's going to do, but of course, he's a businessman and he wants uh, to earn uh, money with a project. And um, so it will be interesting to see how he will manage that. Well, it was one of the biggest news sites for, um, it was a special news, you know, because it was reporting about the gray area of yeah. the computer business. So despite the forum wasn't populated anymore with users, I always enjoyed reading the news articles. Hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, the news articles were the, the outlet, the, the public view for every visitor from outside. But uh, to be honest, only 20 or 30% of uh, page impressions have been generated in the news area and 70 or 80 percent have been generated in the forum. And, and that was uh, a lot more important and 
Yeah, but but you're right. Uh, in in Germany, it was the uh, third biggest forum in in USA. They are called boards. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, um, I would uh, for 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 an example how what sort of board it is. Uh, do you know W Junction? I've heard of it. I don't know it. Okay. Uh, w Junction is especially for. Yeah, webmasters and security and uploaders uh, for share hosters and completely gray area. And um, Gully.com was a lot more, but it was, of course, specialized in that area. And that was the reason why we had. Uh, very good connections to to people in, and insider informations, and we we try to be uh, quicker than uh, Heiser Online or Golem or all the other tech related uh, news portals in Germany. Mm. I'm I'm, I'm uh, curious what what will happen. I have no idea. It, it's not he, easy. He rehired. He rehired it. Nobody knows for for uh, how much money. I, I heard rumors that in 2008 it was sold for one million euro. Dang. And oh, I, I, I'm I can't prove it. And I also heard rumors it was then in 2008 sold for uh, around four hundred thousand euro. And now I don't know how much it is worth. A website is also worth the sum of money somebody's willing to pay. But I don't think he didn't pay much. Hmm. Because there wasn't happen, happening a lot there. They've killed the forum, uh, the board, and the news. Um, weren't of that quality anymore, like they have been uh, the years before. And uh, you also have, um, um, it's it's uh, probably it's also in your area, but it's a question of generation. You have uh, people that are interested in a special topic for three or four years, and then they are growing older and they are changing their interest and doing something else. But uh, if there's uh, nothing happening there, nobody will jump in. And that, that, right. that was exactly their problem. Yeah, time will tell what, what will happen. He's uh, driving the biggest uh, bar in South Africa, the owner of Gullicom. Oh, okay. That's sounding promising. Yeah. <laughs> <I hope so>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. We will link to all this stuff in the podcast description though, so people can check it out. And you also mentioned in a little sentence, by the way, that Nintendo is suing people for hosting ROM files. Yeah. Haven't true. they? They're just now, I feel like they've been doing that for a long time. Nintendo is very, very tight with everything like they are when we did uh when we talked to charles martinet we had to have their approval before we published the podcast 
yes, we had, I had to send a copy to Charles and he would send it to, to Nintendo and they would approve it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they are, they are real stringent, you know, cause at the time, you know, what three people were listening to us. So, you, you know, who cares what we, what we said, but it was, they're super tight with stuff like that. And I thought that they've been going after people hosting ROMs for quite a while because, well, because they're Nintendo. I think one reason is uh, they they had a great time many years ago, and they've done a lot of great titles. But uh, people still want that old stuff because, uh, in my impression, it's uh, light years better than those games which are published nowadays, also from Nintendo. And... Uh, I think that's one reason why uh, they are going after it. Um, and uh, the person who is hosting that uh, two websites, one website is already offline, and the other website uh, has deleted everything from Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably also, you know, they figure maybe who's going to buy who's going to buy our new NES Mini if you can just go online and download the ROM and play it on your laptop. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. probably how do we make the most amount of money, you know, yeah. off of our intellectual property. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one one huge problem uh, for this person will be uh, when it's going to court that he had a sort of subscription service. You, mm -hmm. you could have downloaded the games also for free, but uh, you had a better speed and some other advantages. If you are, if you, you were willing to uh, pay him uh, some some uh, U.S. dollars every month, and uh, hmm, that makes a big difference. It does, yeah, because it's one thing if you're just kind of giving it out, distributing, but if you're making money off of somebody else's yeah. stuff, then yeah, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think we will see maybe once again when it's going uh, to record issue 100 or 500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now with issue f 50, we are able to get our own section at the Wayback Machine, archive.org. Yeah. Ah. Uh, so I'm cool. already in touch with them since a couple of years, and they wrote back yes. to me like, yes, we are interested. If you have issue 50 released, we will make a section for your podcast, and then... He's very jazzed about that. Yeah, I am totally jazzed about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and um, so I wonder, by the way, how is your stuff personally doing? I mean, in tarncapper.com, uh, sorry, .info, how did it happen that you now started writing about games and copy protection? Mm. Because you didn't do that until this year, actually, right? You started like this year? Um, I'm, I'm sometimes uh, writing about that topics if it has uh, something to do with copyrights. And um, I'm not writing often about uh, retro topics, uh, that's true. Um, but I thought, oh, what? Uh, they want uh, up to 100 million uh, US dollars 
from uh, one single person because he he's been driving two websites. Uh, that's a that's quite a lot. And um, and there is actually with retro stuff, it is an interesting an interesting um, field as far as copyright because a lot of times the company that owned the copyright. Somebody usually still owns it, even if the company yeah. that published it doesn't exist. Yeah. But, yeah. but whether it falls under, like the C64, you know, a lot of the software now is out. No, no, people will crack this stuff. Crack. I mean, this stuff has been cracked since 1987, but they'll re-re-re-crack it with no, no concern about, you know, hiding their own identity or trying to protect themselves because, because who cares? It's, you know, 30-year-old software. But... Somebody still owns the rights to that, yeah. And technically, you're still pirating it, and mm. they could theoretically come after you for it. That's true. Which, in the case of Nintendo, because because right now Nintendo has this other product that they might lose money from from piracy. You know, they're they're starting to crack down, but there's nothing saying that we're not going to see that from Sega or from whoever owns Amiga. You know, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is about Nintendo is when they analyzed the ROM files of the cartridges, they actually figured out that the NES Mini <laughs> yeah. has pirated ROMs inside. <laughs> they are not even original. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Even Nintendo isn't perfect. Yeah, that, that lets you know that some employee at Nintendo was just real lazy and was like, "I don't feel like converting this thing. Let me just go download the ROM." <laughs> but, and they didn't help. even care to remove the credits <laughs> yeah. from the. Credits. We'll download the ROM and then we'll sue the guy <laughs> we downloaded it from. They, they shouldn't have checked your podcast so long. They should have checked the ROMs. Yeah. <laughs> 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 totally funny, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It's it's just a weird world. I mean, the same happened with Atari a few years ago. They also sued companies yeah. and people that had blogs and reported about Atari oh, yeah. games, you know. And Nintendo yeah. did the same with YouTubers. Mm-hmm. That is why you have a, now a system that you have to sign up to if you right. are going to use Nintendo products in your YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, and I mean now every every company right now seems to be on this retro kind of let's try to use let's try to exploit what we did in the past. There's a new Atari's coming out with a new a, a new VCS which yeah. is just an x86 steam powered thing. But it, you know, I mean they could start maybe they're going to you know bundle a bunch of old Atari games with it. Um uh, what's what's the other one? You're, what were we talking about last time? The uh, not I don't think the it was a Coleco. Drive? No, no, no. It was like super old school. Not in television. In the Intellivision. Television. Yeah. The Intellivision is coming back. Mm-hmm. They're designing a its own system. It's not going to be x86 based. Mm-hmm. They're designing like their own thing that's going to have like like their games. So I mean those eight Intellivision games, which were awful, but are freely available online. <laughs> they, I mean, you know, this is something that they could look at and be like, you know, we're going to lose money if if you can just get this stuff. And so yeah, yeah. people that, you know, places that you might not have even thought, you know, because who who cares if you pirate an Intellivision game? You know, those things were terrible. But now they're coming. Suddenly they're coming back and trying to make a new console and they're going to start cracking down on people that are 
messing with this stuff. But what is it currently? Because I, I know it used to be 75 years for copyright, and I think it's changed. I think it's like 50? 100 years. No, I think it's like 100. 100 years? I think 100 years. Wow. Yeah. For music, I don't know the rest, but uh, for music, 100. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I know for written material, it was 75, but then it's it's 100, and that's assuming no one renews it. One thing that I know about Nintendo is, and I was discussing with the PR department from Nintendo Germany a hundred times, and they told me the final statement was, the chance that we will ever talk about our retroactivity in the yeah. public is zero. Yeah. <laughs> that's a statement. Yeah, And that's the same statement I got from Capcom, who are now re-releasing all these Street Fighter and Mega Man games for the NES and Super NES. Same statement. Yeah. We will never well, we're starting talk to, about our retro activities. They're starting to realize that retro or not, sometimes a good game is just a good game, and it doesn't matter if it's modern or old. You know, yeah. and, and that's one of the Intellivision's things is that they're making a modern platform for gaming, but there's going to be no 3D. There's going to be no, you know, they have a whole list of guidelines for what they're not going to do. And they're they're saying if you can't if you can't explain in one paragraph what this game is, then it's not going to be here. It's got to be simple and you know entertaining and whatnot, which is something we've lost, you know, because mm. a lot of games now you're sitting through forty five minutes of video and setup in the beginning of it just before you know, it, and it doesn't matter what kind of game it could be, you know, Pac Man Legends, and you're sitting through a forty five minute movie to learn the backstory of Pac-Man before the stupid game starts. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, it, but it I never does... I never understood the attitude of why they are active in the vitro area but n never talking about it. I mean, for example, when when Sega released Sonic Mania last year, we uh -huh. invited Sega for an interview and, and they did it. I spoke about Sonic with Sega. Uh -huh. Why why can't I talk um, about the NES Mini with Nintendo. Why is that not possible? Why can't I talk about Street Fighter 2 with Capcom? I don't understand it. They want our money by re-releasing retro stuff, but they never want to talk about the about it well, they don't to want, the press. They don't want to be part of the community. Is what they don't want. They I they want they want the community's money. They don't want to be part of it. I, I think they want to have the full control about each work a uh, word that's that's uh, been spread about the plans and productions and uh, the risk is too high that maybe there's a misunderstanding or something like that and they would lose the full control if they would uh, make a statement. I think that, that's a reason. Mm. Yeah, plus uh, if they're going to have somebody come out and talk, it might not necessarily be someone that high up that knows the company mm -hmm. line. So, you know, I mean, and, and you could also get unscrupulous people doing the podcast who, you know, would leave in that section about you know the fall of civilization that that you know normally you'd want to you'd want to take that out because they don't want to be associated with it. Uh, will will there be uh, again a retro area at the Gamescom? Of course, yes, I will be a part of it again. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I because why I ask uh, because it's uh, just here around the corner. I know I'm living you should visit us. Cologne. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not interested in modern games, sorry. Come to the uh, retro area. We have <laughs> plenty yeah. of old yeah. stuff. Right. 
Okay. And you can meet me in person finally. Yeah, yeah. finally. We never did so. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> First time Hmm. Well, I'm busy with Gamescom. That's good enough yeah. for me. <laughs> okay. Right. That sounds awesome. like we have the final sentence here. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sitting with us. Where can people yeah. go online to find out more about what you are doing and see some of the, the articles you've written and, and, and all that stuff? Okay, fine. info, so right? Yeah. Correct. Awesome. And we will link to all this in the podcast description below. If you're watching this on video, it's there. If you're watching it on the podcast, it's or listening to it, rather, it's someplace. Um, yeah. Perfect. Beautiful. Thanks, Thanks for, for sitting with us on our, our, on our 50th annual anniversary episode. And see you in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the 100. <laughs> yes. My, my hair is already gray. I don't know. Mm, maybe there is no nothing left there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have digital. We can always paint something on there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just apply a filter, you know, like Snapchat filter. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Right. Uh, Thanks, always Lars. pleasure, sir. Yeah. So that was Lars Sobirai. Always a pleasure to have him on the podcast. Love him. Um, you can catch him at tarncapa.info. I'm sure that's flashing on the screen if you're watching this. If not, it'll be in the podcast description down below. I think I just sold something on eBay. Um, nice. Ship now. <laughs> um, and, and, of course, links to everything that we've talked about will be down there. So, so, so thanks for so, tuning in. Come back for episode 51. That'll be on soon. And, nice. Uh, yeah, and we'll see how that goes. C